Welcome to another episode of I Am Socially Distancing With. Today we have Nathaniel Hall, who is a theater maker, a writer, and a performer. Hi. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. And I am Juju. I use they, them uh, pronouns, and I'm a youth worker at the Kai Trust, which is an LGBTQ plus uh, support network for uh, young people. Today, we have our uh, very own Jack from the Kai Trust. Hi, Jack. Hello, hello. Good to, good to see you. And Jack is going to be interviewing our guest, Nathaniel. So now over to you folks. You can introduce yourself, uh, saying your name and pronouns, and then you can start with all, all the wonderful uh, questions uh, we have for you and your awesome uh, work. And yeah, we're super, super happy to have you here. We love what you, what you do and we think it's extremely important. And yeah, we're um, so pleased that you're here with us. All right, to you, folks. <laughs> awesome, thanks, Gigi. Um, so yeah, Nathaniel, what's gonna happen is, yeah, we normally at the start of all our groups and like online sessions, uh, we always start by introducing our names, uh, our pronouns, and we often have like a silly, like icebreaker question. Um, and my question for you for this session is, um, if you could only have three apps on your phone and only three apps, which three apps would that be? So we'll start with names and pronouns first. Oh, gosh. Well, so my name's Nathaniel Hall. My pronouns are he and him, um, or they and them is fine. Um, I, ooh, I'm going to look at my phone now and see where my finger <laughs> hovers quickly. Um, I think WhatsApp, because I, I like, it's like got families, particularly in lockdown, because we've got like a family one. And there's like, there's all different, I've got a big family. So then there's like all different family groups. There's like ones without my mum and dad in, there's like ones without my brother in. So there's ones for like sorting out people's Christmas presents and birthday presents. And stuff. So that's really nice. And, and, and my dad has even joined it during lockdown, which is nice. Um, and he's, he's mastered WhatsApp and he sends us a weekly update, which is really, really funny. So I'd say WhatsApp is one. Um, I think, I'm not going to be boring and say like emails because like um, <laughs> Twitter, I, I, can't, I don't think I'm a Twitter gay. I don't think I could live without my Twitter. Um, I know that's, I know like it's not, you know, the coolest of the, the social media apps out there, but hey, um, yeah. you know, I've never been cool. Um, and I would then probably say Instagram as the second one because I really like Instagram. Facebook, I like, I mean, how do you go on it these days? Yeah. So sorry, Facebook. Yeah, Facebook is dying, I think, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so those are my three. Awesome. That's a good collection as well. Like, yeah, I always feel you find a lot about what people use their phones for. And yeah, I think those are three of solid, solid choices. Um, awesome. And I'm, I'm Jack. I use he, him pronouns. Um, and oh, I've, I've given a similar answer to that question. I can't remember what it was now. Yeah, it would either be like YouTube, Instagram, Oh, and Google Maps, because I have no sense of direction. Ooh, that's a great one, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I just get lost everywhere, so I always need a guide. Um, awesome. So for any viewers who may not know you, uh, how would you describe your work and what you do? Um, okay, well, so I'm a theatre maker, an actor, writer, performer, producer, director um, and HIV activist, very importantly, from Manchester. Um, so I co-run a theatre company called Dibby Theatre here in Manchester. We're an LGBTQ-led theatre company. Um, and most recently, I um, decided to tell my own story in a play. Uh, so back in 2018, I wrote a show called First Time, um, which documents my experiences living with HIV. Um, I was diagnosed with HIV back in 2003 when I was just 16, um, after my first um, sexual experience. Um, and I lived in, in complete secrecy with that and shame um, with that diagnosis for a long time, for 15 years actually, um, until in 2017, I, um, I had a mental breakdown and I was partying all the time. I was uh, alcohol, drugs, all the usual sort of cliche really, um, and realized that something needed to change in my life. And my career hadn't taken off either very, in the way that I'd always wanted it to. So I decided to write a play about it and it kind of um took off <laughs> in a big way um, in a way that we weren't expected um and so since then um the show has been to the edinburgh fringe festival it's won 
multiple awards. It's been it's received critical acclaim, um, and um, my story as well has been sort of picked up by lots of other like news channels and magazines. And I've had interviews with Charlie and Naga on the BBC Breakfast Couch um, for MTV UK, um, and been telling my story to hopefully help other people um, rid themselves of maybe the shame that they might have around their HIV diagnosis. Um, so that's what's happened in the last two years for me. That's a lot of stuff like to like happen like a season yeah. two Wow. And I I've not seen the show yet, but I've seen the trailers and I've seen various snippets and it looks incredible. Um and yeah, so many like really like yeah, just not, not heartwarming is not the word. What I'm trying to think, like um very in, intense, but also it's like very in your face, a lot of the stuff, which which yeah. is really yeah, which I think, especially around the subject matter, sometimes you kind of just need that in your face rather than sort of tiptoeing around it. Um, and so how, what sort of, you sort of mentioned it as um, as you were talking about your show, but like what made you discover sort of performance and writing and what made you sort of go down that route? Um, I think, so I'd always, it, in the work that I make, I do lots of work with with other people, helping them um, maybe process difficult things in their own lives and document that through theatre, whether that be anonymously or, or, or not. And I realised that I sort of needed to take a bit of my own medicine because I'm always working with other artists and other theatre mm -hmm. makers and going, you need to take a risk. You need to do this thing. You know, you should try this. And actually going, I wasn't doing that in my own life. So mm -hmm. it was really a challenge to myself. And I knew back in 2017, um, you know, my life had taken a, a real nosedive my mental health had taken a real nosedive as well because I was holding this huge secret and held all this shame um, and it was all interlinked as well maybe with internalized homophobia and shame around being gay and um, and so I, I noticed all those patterns of behavior and I saw myself in the mirror two days after a house party I was still awake and I just was like I don't recognize that Nathaniel anymore like that's not that's not who I you know wanted to be to be or become um and you know those all those things are great fun if you're pursuing them for fun but not if you're masking pain you know mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. i realized at that point that i was and th and i think that many people lgbtq people often are um we talk about pride and we want to celebrate pride and that's amazing but actually behind that you know when we all when we go home lots of us do carry lots of shame and we have to do lots mm -hmm. of work to unpick that i think so the show was really my therapy because mm -hmm. um and i also knew that if i didn't do it and maybe never would come out as HIV positive. I hadn't told my family. My parents didn't know, and it was driving this this wedge between people close to me in my life. Um, and I tried many, many times to tell people. So I thought, actually, maybe doing this thing will force my hand to do that. So, I mean, I wasn't as dramatic as inviting them to come and see the show and revealing to them on stage. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which would be very would be very OTT but you know I wrote them a letter as part of that process and that writing process of writing the show um, and then that letter actually forms part of the show so at the end of the show you you I, I you realize that this letter I've been talking about this thing I've not been able to say is the letter to my parents and you get to take a copy of that home with you so that you can read that and there's, there's a real connection to the real story um, when even after you've left the theatre that's incredible. And you sort of mentioned a uh, like performance being a sphere. I think for many artists across sort of all spectrums, like performance and writing and visual art, um, I think there is an element of that sometimes with work that is that sort of therapy. Um, but how have you sort of met? Because obviously that can be also be quite quite a tricky situation to find yourself in sort of making art about something that could be um, yeah, that is a personal. How did you find? A, how did you kind of manage that and sort of balance that? Yeah, knowing it's very beautiful, but actually, yeah, knowing those boundaries of what to share on stage as well. <laughs> the, the boundaries of what to share on stage. Um, to be honest, I just shared everything, um, and I, I, I think we've we've created a monster because I think now I just I just overshare everything. I just talk about every aspect of my life. Um, <laughs> I think it is really important to understand that. Once you've said something out loud, once it's in the public domain, particularly in, in doing it in a show in the way that I did, and you know, having the you know the BBC news cameras in your face, and you know, and various other news outlets asking you all these quite very personal questions, you have to think very carefully about what you want out in the public domain. But for me, the, I decided to use the show almost as a confessional because mm -hmm. because there were so many things I was doing in my life that I was harboring shame about, and actually. 
I realized that there, there is a narrative around HIV that, you know, if you if you have HIV, that it's something to be ashamed of. And that's where the stigma around HIV comes from. And I realized that by actually being silent, I was buying into that narrative. I was it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it was like, actually, the minute I say this out loud, it becomes really, really freeing because nobody can weaponize it against me. And so I used that that ethos throughout the whole show. And I mean, there's some overshares in there. And I remember when I was making it and my my um, my director, and he's a good friend of mine, Chris Hoyle, he was saying, you know, your parents are going to come and sit in the audience and watch you do this, you know. And I was like, and he was like, do you really want them to see it? And I was like, yes, because I think they need to, I want them to see and understand maybe some of the complexities and the challenges of, of uh, or the dark, the word darker, but yeah, the darker side of LGBTQ life or how growing up in a homophobic or transphobic environment can impact you, can impact your mental health, can make you do things that maybe are damaging to yourself, you know, can see you do damaging behaviours. Um, and and I think that was important and that was sort of like family therapy for everyone to come and sit and watch it. But it is really important for anyone thinking about writing about their own personal experience to really think carefully and to have support. I had... Um, lots of support of people around me. I had um, therapy support as well on hand if I wanted that, and that's really important to make sure you're in that solid place and you're not uh, you're not uh, putting your mental well-being at further risk. Mm, no, completely. And sort of when you were talking about, yeah, often sort of the stigmas or the the stereotypes or tropes around HIV, but also yeah, other aspects of sort of the LGBTQ plus community. A lot of them come from that lack of representation or that certain bit of representation. So yeah, by you not only like saying it out loud and affirming it, you're mm. representing a a part of it, a narrative of it, uh, which I think is just incredible. But also must feel a bit heavy at times like almost feeling like you're not the spokesperson but like that yeah always yeah, yeah. take it on your shoulders that that's really that is a when you talk about spokespeople that's really interesting because actually that as a writer you can feel particularly as a writer that might be get might be labeled as you know a gay writer or an lgbt writer or a hiv writer you feel a, a great deal of responsibility to that community um but one thing that you have to do um as a as a performer or a writer of autobiography in particular is be prepared to to not be likable as well <laughs> and to actually you know if i presented a version of myself which was you know beautifully polished and sanitized that wouldn't be the truth you know i have done some not very nice things in my life you know i have treated people badly i have done things that i look at and go Do you know what i regret doing that but actually rather than brush them under the carpet um you know it's about putting them out on the table and go this is real you know the way i've lived my life is is not the same way that every gay man lives their life, you know, and some gay men never touch a drug in their life. Some gay men never go to a club in their life. And that's totally fine. And their stories are probably beautiful and rich and varied as well. But I had to very quickly go, actually, this is this is not necessarily about positive representation. It's just about representation. And, you know, just because we're LGBTQ doesn't mean that we are you know, saints all of a sudden because we're from a from a minority community, you know, we have to be realistic about the things that, that have happened to us or or happened in our community so we can have an open conversation about them. Mm -hmm. Completely. And also and then that sort of drifts into sort of intersectionality and like, yeah, knowing that other experiences and impact on that and you know, someone who may be LGBTQ plus also might be um disabled or might be yeah part of the black community and it's like all of these experiences are really different from one another. Um so yeah, so I really like how you said like it's just a representation rather than like the perfect great representation whatever that means. Um, yeah, um, and so when you've sort of taken your work, what kind of places have you performed at? And were there any um, surprising um, reactions from audience members or, yeah, where have you taken your work? And have there been any unusual places you've taken your work? <laughs> well, so the show was originally done in a place called Waterside um, in Arts in uh, South Manchester. Um, and then, I mean, that was amazing they, they they absolutely packed them in and then we, there was so much demand we had to do another show um and then we took the show to the edinburgh fringe festival now that for anyone who works in the arts will know is a massive challenge you know that's 28 shows in a row day after day um and you have to get in with you only have 20 minutes to get into the space well, actually, it's less, about 10 to 15 minutes to get in and then at the end of your show to get out as well. So you've got to get all your set, 
everything set up all your lighting and sound um, and then you go you know you just do your show so that was an incredible space to do it and then we've taken it on tour as well so it's been touring the UK up until unfortunately COVID-19 interrupted those plans um, and it will be on tour again next year in 2021 hopefully um, some of the surprise I think what, one of the things that really surprises me is the diversity of the audience that comes to see it because um, it's not it's not particularly um, I thought that that it would it would be mainly gay men that would come and see the show or people from the LGBT community particularly. Mm -hmm. But actually we've, we've had a really diverse group and we've had, uh, we've gone to theatres that don't necessarily program much LGBTQ work mm -hmm. and it's not been presented as a piece of queer theatre, you know, or as a piece of LGBTQ work, just a story that's, you know, of interest to people. Mm -hmm. And we've ha I've had, you know, real, real surprising reactions from a range of people, particularly from parents who have really, really resonated with, because the, the, the show is about my relationship, my parents you know keeping that secret for so long um and that is really resonated with them and i think people come away and go do you know what? actually there's this thing that i've not talked about with my parents and they're getting on and they're getting older and and i want to you know i want to close that chapter or i want to make sure that we've had that conversation you know whether it uh, for particularly for lgbtq people as well who uh, mm. had people who said you know i need to tell my parents that i'm gay or that i'm you know that i'm non-binary or trans and and it's not necessarily about the hiv but it's something that they've wanted to uh, you know it's empowered them to sort of to to go i've got to bite the bullet with this thing and um, i think one of the most remarkable reactions though was when we we did the show originally and we did a post-show discussion now normally in the arts world right post-show discussions right we put them on the end and we're you know and we get maybe five people ten people from the audience come back you know who are like interested in how you make theater and they want to ask questions normally you're like everyone come back and everyone goes to the bar and no one comes back um this one i'm not joking about 95 percent of the audience came back so it was really jam-packed we had this amazing discussion we had other people live with hiv um on stage telling their stories as well but we actually had one person um uh, come out as HIV positive and they'd only been recently diagnosed and they'd not said it out loud yet, but they felt so comfortable within that space and that community that we'd built over those couple of hours to go, do you know what? I'm I'm gonna say this out loud and then when I go home, I'm gonna speak to my family about it. Um, and you know, so and I receive messages from people across the world who've read my story who who say similar things and that's really humbling because to know that by doing this thing and I'm, I'm putting this thing out there it's helping other people to mm. not go through the years of shame and self-hatred that I did and that many people with HIV do or LGBTQ people, for instance. So that's that's an amazing reaction that we've had to the show. Yeah. And I'm guessing the sort of that's very sort of unexpected, like the fact that the show created a safe space for these people who are basically a room of strangers. Like most of the time, it's people they don't know. But you you manage to create that space or open that discussion with your work that people can, yeah, felt comfortable and like confident and empowered to have that, which I think is just incredible and so so rare to sort of find sometimes. Um, and sort of like linked onto that sort of confidence what gave you like the confidence to like get on stage and like um whether that's like talking about your story or just yeah being a performer and like where did that confidence sort of come from um i'm not sure you know i'm a bit i am a bit of a show off um and and what i realized actually when i was making the show i was like oh are you actually quite funny um, which i didn't think i was and then um you know and then i actually do look back through my twitter and i'm like no you are actually quite funny you, you are definitely a twitter gay trademark do you know what i mean but um but you know and i was but I don't know really with the show um what really I mean I've been an actor pr previous prior to this and I'd made theatre prior to this um but I'd sort of always been the bridesmaid never the bride in a way um and uh you know I'd, I'd done some some adverts and bits and bobs on telly and a few theatre shows and I'd worked on other productions but it never felt like it was my time to shine and I just sort of thought because my life had gone to that point where it was a bit of an all or nothing moment it was like well actually there's all or nothing with this thing in my personal life but also in my professional life and there was a there was a sort of fearlessness in that I mean I was bricking it as well absolutely bricking it but um you know there was a sort of a fearlessness of I'm going to throw everything at this thing everything that I've got my creativity my heart my soul and if it doesn't if it's not well received you know I'll wave the white flag and go down with the ship and um and take up a job in accounting do you know what I mean it's like 
<laughs> I'll just go, okay, actually, you weren't very good, um, you know, uh, and that's fine. But, but in a sense, that was that was the thing that I was needed to to sort of quell the the negative voices which every creative has, which tells you you're not good enough, or your art is not good enough, or you know, um, people won't be interested in this story or these these things you've got to say. So, so it was really that that prompted me, and then that's really over the last couple of years has built, and that confidence has grown. Still, you know, still feel like an imposter. Everyone does. Um, everyone does. Even even the biggest scriptwriter or screenwriter who's won a BAFTA will tell you the day they submit that script, they'll be like. Why has somebody asked me to do this? I'm a nobody. <laughs> it's still there. It never goes. You just have to learn to control the beast. Yeah, completely. You just sort of accept that sort of, yeah, everyone's an imposter syndrome. And like, they all exactly. feel that you should be there when you absolutely should be. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a really like, solid advice as well. I think, yeah, I think there's that. Sometimes you just got to go for it and just sort of see, yeah, yeah what happens, which can be terrifying not, not having that uncertainty. That, having that uncertainty. Um, yeah, likewise, you just never know what's going to happen with it. I think I think we we, we particularly in the as artists, but this can go into any any sort of aspect of life. I think I think we're very scared that we won't get a second chance if we fail. We won't get a second chance, you know. But actually, you know, you can put something out there and it it, it not hit in the way that you want, but it doesn't mean that you're never going to get a casting again or be asked to invited to write a script or you'll never get another opportunity to develop you know develop something. So. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've learned is like, because actually the best the best creative work happens when you take risk and you take a gamble. And sometimes it doesn't pay off, but when it does, it's worth taking that risk. Yeah, no, completely. And when you when you say that second chances, like for some reason, uh, 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 not quote, but something that um, uh, a writer that like a script writer that I once looked up said, like every idea you have is like a. He said it's like a a, a turtle, like, but it's on its back and it's got its little legs crawling, and then. <laughs> sometimes they'll flip themselves over and they'll just go like the idea will just run and sometimes they don't sometimes they'll just sit there they'll wiggle their leg, legs forever um but the idea yeah like sometimes yeah sometimes they do just stick they they just fly yeah and other times yeah they they sort of just yeah sort of um it's, yeah. it's made me really sad that there's loads of little turtles just <laughs> waving their legs around and then they just they never get a chance to flip over and run anyway. well, ne- an idea is never wasted there's always opportunities true they're just they're waiting for their time. <laughs> oh, awesome. And um, uh, oh, where were? Oh, yeah. And so, um, with that, how much would you say? And I mean, we talked a, a lot about it, but how much of your work does link sort of your identity? Um, and could they ever be pulled apart, or do you think they're proper mushed in together as one big thing? Um, I don't think they ever could be. Um, we have lots of conversations about this because Dibby Theatre is run by my friend Chris Hoyle, um, who is a gay man, um, and we, you know, we talk about what what will our work ever be separate from that thing? And I, I and I, I just I just don't think it can be. I think when you when you identify as LGBTQ or when you say you are one of those things or anything you know anything within that wonderful world and spectrum, um, it's like you your your existence exists instantly becomes politicized it, it, it's you know and in the same way that if you have black skin it's it, you're instantly politicized and it's, it's it's almost impossible to be i think to be a creative and not not have that as part of it um i think what i've learned through my um my antics and fast experience now i'm heading towards 34 is that actually you as as a as a queer person or however you want to to, to describe it um our outlook on life is is really unique and special mm-hmm. um and actually the challenges that we face can shape um ways of thinking that i think challenge the status quo um mm-hmm. and and sort of you know we 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 can we can live our lives and our identities as we please in a sense and that can be really freeing as well so i think it's always intertwined i think hiv probably won't be um but it was part of the process of me moving forward with my diagnosis and through the show i mean my next project which is just about to launch called Inequal parts which is about hiv shame and stigma and working with other people um through creative means to explore that and um, is about hiv and that's about helping other people and i think i'll, I'll keep harping on about hiv mm-hmm. um until it's safe for everyone to come out um you know i'm 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 cisgendered i'm white 
male, you know, I walk down the street, you know, unless I'm wearing something flamboyant, I don't really present in a way that is threat threatening in inverted commas to other people. And I, you know, um, you know, I've been gay bashed a few times and, and we bounce back stronger, but I'm essentially in a privileged position, you know, with my with my uh with those things. And so I'm relatively safe to say I'm HIV positive out loud, but I know many, many people are not, whether they're trans, you know, whether they're um, stuck in the asylum system or the immigration system, you know, in, in, in parts of the black community that are very conservative or in parts of um, faith groups that, are, you know, are stopping them. So I'm really want, I'll just keep talking about that until the world changes and those people are safe to say it. And then I can start, put, put my feet up, have a cup of tea and they can pick up the mantle. <laughs> <laughs> that's so yeah that's such a great way to sort of say yeah and really again really empowering that's amazing and you sort of mentioned like your um connection with sort of chris hoyle how did you sort of find your little um your little group i feel like lots of artists they find their their um their friends or their fellow peers or fellow colleagues or how they sort of describe them how did you find your your sort of little bubble well, Chris found, actually found me um, at, um, at like one of our favourite like club nights in Manchester, which is called Homo Electric. Oh, do you remember that time when we could go out dancing? And that was a thing. It's like a distant memory, doesn't it? Um, and I think he found me out. He, he, he collared me outside the toilets. And I think I was very, very drunk. Um, but um, had a conversation was like, I really love your work and I want to work with you. And that's where it sort of we hit it off. And we've been we've been friends ever since. Um, yeah, it's a funny one. I, I, often you do sort of fall into these things with people. And um, I think when you hit a when you're creative, what you want to say through your creativity is a similar uh, is on a similar plane. I think then something magical happens, um, and you know that for for anyone who's a, who's aspiring as an artist, it's really important to get into networks and meet other people, and 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 not to go into those with any agenda either, because often you can go and you'll meet someone in a network or an event or you know whatever, and it might it might be ten years until you actually go that person was amazing and the, the fit's right. And um, so, so it's kind of organic um, and the, I'm very lucky, you know, I live in Greater Manchester because there's a, a thriving um, theatre scene here. Um, but also I do just go out my way and if I want to work with someone, I just, I'm really cheeky and I just get in touch and I'm like, can we do something? Um, you know, so, and so being a bit bold in that sense, you know, what's the worst they can do is go no when you go, all right, my pride's dented a bit, but you beat yourself up and move on. So, you know, yeah. I think I think reaching out and asking people as well mm -hmm. if you want to work with them is really important. Mm -hmm. And so what's what was your sort of what, what sort of methods do you do your work? Is it often asking through Twitter? Is it often sliding into Instagram? Do you, like, yeah. How or do you go? Through I, you go I, here's here's an exclusive for you. I slid into the DMs of screenwriting legend, BAFTA award-winning screenwriting legend, Russell T. Davis. <laughs> um, and yeah. that backed me some work. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was that was a bold one. I actually went to see an event, uh, an event that he was talking at, and I wanted to talk to him afterwards, um, mm. and um, and uh, and didn't get chance because obviously everyone wanted a photograph and stuff. And then so yeah. afterwards, I just was like, second best, I'll do Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, as well, it, it, yeah, it, it's I get I get people getting in touch with me via social media, and if I'm interested, you know, I say yes. If I'm not, I say polite, you know, politely decline, and then and then we we make it formal. We move to email after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good. Some good tips on how to how to sort of navigate that often tricky sort of line. Um, so a lot of artists who come on, they um, often talk about self-care. A lot of people generally just talk about self-care. Um, but community care and taking care of each other is also really important. Do you have any tips on how we can practice self-care and community care? Or have there been any sort of um, um, anything that you've discovered over lockdown or like over this sort of time period of how you do self-care? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, an absolute workaholic. Um, and one of the difficulties of being creative is that actually creativity doesn't just switch on at nine in the morning, you know, when you go to work. Um, and so you have to plan your days um, 
carefully because you sort of have to be ready for when that creative thing strikes to go i'm gonna i'm gonna get this idea out on the page or i'm gonna if you know if you're a musician i'm gonna thrash it out on the piano or whatever it is that you do um so you have to allow yourself time and flexibility for that but i my real um particularly during lockdown what i learned or about looking after myself was was learning to clock off mm-hmm. and actually I was doing sometimes I do really, really long stints of working very, very hard and long and late into the evening. And actually the work suffers as a result. And actually closing the MacBook and going or, the, you know, and going, I finished it's six o'clock. I'm going to go and do some exercise, which is really good for my mental health. I exercise daily if I can, which is a new habit that I have managed finally after 34 years to cement into my routine. So I exercise and it's not about, you know, it's not about. The body or anything it's about my mind um and so going swimming or running or whatever really helps doing that thing having some food and watching some telly is just like it's a really great way to 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 differentiate and i think for lots of people who are now working from home um who haven't worked from home but i've always worked from home unless i'm on the stage i'm at home you know working mm-hmm. in my in my pjs um but for lots of people this year who've found that now working from home, having that distinction being able to go i finished work um and uh, i'm not looking at emails i'm not doing this thing you know there's there's always stuff that needs doing but actually yeah. um just just being able to train yourself to switch off is really important and encourage others to do the same as well and support others so that's my way i support other people in the community because i see other artists and i can tell when they're having burnout you know you can see it on their social medias and i'm like send them a little message and i'm like clock off you know maybe yeah. have a nice little glass of wine or you know bar of chocolate or whatever you need treat yourself to a massage i don't know whatever it is um, yeah. i think that's really important yeah no, i agree and yeah i think definitely and I think a lot of people, um, yeah, have discovered clocking off. And I know one of our artists who've been on here before, yeah, for them, it was just them knowing that they can just go to bed and sleep and they don't have to get up and run to get the train to go off somewhere for a meeting. And suddenly, like, yeah. they have that, that breathing space, essentially, just to yeah. actually switch off, clock off, lay in bed for an extra 10 minutes or yeah. whatever it is they haven't been able to yeah. do in in for as long as they can remember um i think it is a skill that i think yeah definitely i know i know personally i need to learn how to clock off more but also yeah that other people have sort of discovered Um, i've got two small dogs as well which they help um, um, because if you're working too much they often come up and sort of nuzzle underneath your wrists where they're at the keyboard like that and look at you like this and go you know i need to go out for a poo or you know like feed me play with me so that that also helps as well and getting out in nature um, it's really useful if you can, particularly now we're going into another lockdown, you know, mm-hmm. find a green space near you and try daily, even though it's cold, you know, even yeah. if it's wet, go out. We're, we're, we are part of nature, not separate from it. We're still animals and we, we need that. So getting out in that's really important as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Completely, completely agree. And so you sort of, sort of talk about lockdown and you sort of mentioned a little bit, but has your creative process sort of changed during lockdown? Like, have you discovered sort of new techniques? You've talked about like sort of clocking off more, but yeah, have, has any new sort of um, creative processes come about? Um, well, every every theatre maker has been has all of a sudden had to go, I'm not a theatre maker anymore. I make things for the screen, you know, and that's that's a massive challenge i think people think writing for theater and writing for television or you know or for for film is it is the same discipline but it's it's massively different it's hugely different um and so you know we've with my show we we have explored trying to make it a, a digital version of it but it's it needs a whole new a new script writing um it needs you know you have to consider things like camera angles and positions and what they communicate whether you're close up to your character far away how you communicate some of the ideas that the conflation of ideas that you bring together on a stage using lighting sound props how do you do that with it you know in front of a camera so so for me i've learned you know i mean i've learned lots of things i i have a drag alter ego um called sue from sexual health um who who i've who i've i've got in touch with over lockdown i've we me and sue have made a real connection um so sue um sue is mentioned in my show um 
first time. Um, she is an amalgamation of every sexual health advisor you've ever met. She's a very friendly northerner and she's very fond of live, laugh, love candles. She set up her own range of live, laugh, love, get tested candles. And she has Cheadle's best up loo cupboard. Um, I've, um, so I, 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 I've started to make short films using Sue that are sort of promoting, you know, um, the U equals U message, things around HIV, around getting tested, around other sex and relationship issues. Um, and so I've learned how to, I bought myself a ring light, you know, I've learned how to, these YouTubers do it, you know, and I've learned how to craft and talk to myself on camera, which is incredibly hard, honestly, <laughs> to have a ver two versions of you talking, but obviously you need to record them separately. So I've been learning all those things, and that's been a real, that's been a quite a fun challenge, actually, because that's potentially a way that I would never have taken my work. And now I know that as we as I move forwards and as I create new work, um, I have other shows in the pipeline coming up um, that I can create content around that show that can help spread its message and its impact further online. So that's been really beneficial. Yeah, yeah, I, I love how yeah you, how you've noticed that their alter egos have like become manifested online or they become manifested because of the time we've had. Like I think that's just incredible this idea. Soon we'll have like a like a multiverse of all these different sort of characters. Like I can picture Sue like in my head now. Like I'm like, yes, yeah. I know we've all met that that kind of person. You'll all know you'll all know a Sue. She <laughs> Sue Sue's uh, line in the in the in my show which is actually true this is i can't remember the name of the of the nurse and the, the sexual health advisor who actually gave me my hiv diagnosis but they actually this one came out one time and said um sorry about your weight look just went out of a tit in the lube cupboard and that was actually a genuine and that's in the show and people laugh and then i referred to it later on and i'm like no that that actually happened you know that was real um and it's those moments that in a sense, I talk about in the show that, that that saved me, you know, I talk about how I sort of take the piss a little bit out of Sue earlier on in the show. But later on, we come back to Sue and I go, do you know what? I've forgotten that person's name. Yeah. You know, I've forgotten her face. I'd forgotten what she looked like. And she she was the one that told me I was HIV positive. She sat with me for two and a half hours as I got my stuff together. You know, in that moment, the clinic had closed. She could have gone home. She was well over, at, you know, a clocking off time um, and then from that that period on you know all those people that I've come to face to face with in the NHS who've helped me and supported me and essentially if we want to put it bluntly stop me from dying because had I not been tested got received the treatment that I'm now on you know I would be dead now so I would not have lived 17 years with HIV so so in a sense that's you know that's in the show and through my work trying to say thank you to those and I think that also really resonates with people because we all um, engage with the NHS you know in, whether it's for sexual health or for other reasons and we will all you know it brings us into this world and it takes us out of this world and there are incredible amazing people in that that we we, we often don't we don't get to say thank you to their face um, yeah. and we don't realize at the time how important they are so that's a one way in which we can all say thank you um well i can say thank you and we can all kind of have that moment yeah yeah and when you were sort of saying that 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 really reminded me of um a book um five people you meet in heaven i don't know it was like yeah i've heard of that yeah yeah and it's by um mitch Olber, I think. and it's like yeah it's that idea of yeah you meet these people who yeah you may not remember their names or even their faces but they had a moment in your life that was so yeah they took a bit of time out of their day or some an interaction yeah. happened that really sort of helped you um yeah and i think it's really important to sort of hold on to those little moments because they happen all the yeah. time and i think we often forget that they're there um but sort of in your work has there ever been any challenges that have come up um whether like making it or whether um performing it or producing other people's work has there any been sort of any challenges and have you overcome them um yeah i mean i've done lots of other work previously that has been verbatim um or based on sort of issue-based work that has, has interviewed other people and there's there's always challenges around that and also challenges when or, or creating work with other people um, that is their own material and their own story because um that's really fraught with lots of ethical 
questions and challenges and dilemmas um, <clears throat> about uh, you know and often you 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 know I always in my process will always give a, a participant um, a chance to opt out at any point so I've made shows where people have said you know opening night like I don't want my bit in it or I don't want to be in it <laughs> so that's a challenge yeah. you just have to you have to respect their decision it's their story um, and they should always have that agency that choice to take to you know and I, I, I never want my work <clears throat> to feel exploitative or like you know some documentary styles of making television which can 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 be you know can shine people in certain lights in different ways and I always want to empower people to tell their own story rather than me tell it for them because I'm always going to put an editorial slant on it I mean hopefully I would hope um, mm -hmm. I'm a, a nice kind person that it, and that, that it's it's looking at things objectively um, and in a fair way but um, but yeah there's all those questions and challenges I think with with my story, mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest challenges was, and we knew this might happen when, I, as I started writing, was mm -hmm. that I unlocked something that I'd forgotten um, mm -hmm. about my story. Um, you know, so I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder um, mm -hmm. as a result of my um, diagnosis so young, and I have an anxiety disorder. Um, and that, um, I, I wrote something one day um and almost sort of went into a bit of a trans writing it and then when i read it back i was like i'm not sure i sort of couldn't remember whether what i'd written was real or not and then the more we processed it and looked at it it was like oh actually maybe it was and that was about you know the fact that i was 16 when i was diagnosed when i had that sexual encounter and i was in a relationship with someone who was 10 years older than me um and so there was just this realization of like, oh, actually, maybe I was groomed mm -hmm. um, into that situation. And maybe as an adult now looking back at some of those scenes and scenarios, it doesn't sit right with me as an adult. Whereas at 16, you know, you think you're an adult, you think you've, you know the world. <laughs> so that was like opening up Pandora's box and sort of you have to be prepared when you make work like this, that you might open those things. And there might be questions, you know, there's memories. I go, I can't remember how that night ended. You know what I mean? Like, like I know, I know we we got drunk or we got high, and I don't know where that went, and that's yeah. worrying. And you have to then have to live with that. So that's one of the challenges of making this sort of work. But actually, within the show, it, it, we, what we do is we 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 deal with that. Um, so that the, there's a moment <clears throat> where I see these these scenes on television, but I'm I'm actually high, so I'm having a. a, a a bad trip in a sense and then there's a question over whether it's true or not um mm -hmm. because because there are things from my past that have question marks over them and we have to live with those so mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so that's probably the most challenging moment and 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 what originally to perform that was very very hard but the more you perform it the more distance you get from mm -hmm. from it and you sort of get into mm -hmm. character and, and it's, it's it doesn't feel like you're performing a trauma anymore you're just mm -hmm. performing a script in a sense mm -hmm. yeah and I, I think it goes back to what we said earlier like making sure you have that sort of um support around you when those moments happen and what and knowing that yeah that is sort of um one of the challenges also one of the, the risks essentially with autobiographical work is finding the sort of stuff and just making sure that you have those yeah those links and those connections for if that happens um yeah no, it, I can imagine really sort of hard stuff for sure um so swerving the conversation off a little bit more um so i'm going to change the question because normally what we ask is over lockdown did you what was um like three bits of like um reading material or films or tv that you sort of really got into but um as we're heading to another one are there any books <laughs> or music or um tv shows that you're really looking forward to um yeah over lockdown um yes you know we all need to be prepared don't we this one's a lot darker and colder than the last one <laughs> um yeah. um i have i have just read a book and um, so i'll do one that i've just read called straight jacket um mm. which some, some people might have heard of um, and that's by matthew tard who used to be editor editor of um, attitude magazine um, and that's a really interesting book looking at the impacts of growing up gay in a straight world it's very much focused from a gay male experience and um, but i think lots of it is relevant to the to you know the wider lgbt community um i think for me it really resonated looking at some of the 
the rhythms and patterns of behaviors I'd fallen into and actually going, oh, actually, they might be because of things that happened to me when I was younger. Um, you know, although I grew up in a loving family around and my sexuality was never in question. I grew up in the 1980s and 90s and, and uh, you know, sexuality wasn't talked about in schools at all um you know there was no representation on television not in the way that it can still be better today but not in the way that it was even the equalities act wasn't there section 28 was in place you know we couldn't get married you know this whole idea of you know like falling in love with another man you know maybe marrying and maybe having kids that just wasn't an option so that that book really struck a chord with me and i think it offers some real hope to anyone that's really struggling <clears throat> with maybe whether it be you know stuck in um toxic relationships or you know or finding themselves drawn to drugs and alcohol and uh, in a negative way um or feeling like they're sort of trapped in um uh, their their lives their own heads at the minute so there's that and i've just bought i'm just looking at the title because i forgot it's called anti-racist ally um i wanted to get it right um and that is a book um by a friend of mine who i went to university with um she's produced um, a range of books and it's a really cute little pocket-sized book uh, which is by my bed ready to read um about how to how to be better um anti-racist ally which um, i think is really really important um what else am i looking forward to um i'm going to listen to jane mcdonald's new album on repeat because i'm obsessed with jane mcdonald and her new album is fantastic um and um i'd probably put a shameless plug in there can't i so i'm looking <laughs> yes you can <laughs> so in january um uh, it's a sin um, which is new Ch Channel 4 drama by Russell T Davis. Um, I mentioned before, I got a job um, from uh, getting in touch with him on Instagram. So, I, but it wasn't quite that way. I still did have to do an audition. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I have a, I'm in episode three of that um, uh, as a character called Donald Bassett. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And that's, that's about uh, the, in fact, it's the first drama to deal with the AIDS crisis in the mm -hmm. UK on, on British television, which is, actually quite shameful in a way. There's been storylines in in um, uh, soap operas and, you know, in EastEnders and that sort of thing, but we've never had an actual drama that real, really deals with it. And it's it's gonna, it's, it's a hard hit in watch. Um, mm. You know, it's it's looking at the, the devastating impact of the HIV AIDS crisis on young gay men, particularly um, mm. in, in the early part of the, the epidemic. Um, so I'm looking forward to that and everyone should watch that as well and tune in. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to that. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm so jealous that you got to experience sort of life, yeah, on on the on the screen or in front of the camera yet, because I'm I'm so looking forward to that one. Um I've got sort of two last questions left, and we're gonna go a little bit philosophical if that's okay with you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my philosophical question is if you could talk to a younger version of yourself right now, what age would that be and what advice would you give? Well. It's funny you should say that because I actually wrote a letter to my 16-year-old self, um, <clears throat> which I wrote a while ago, way before I made the show. Um, and I used to go out um, and read this letter um, in schools and colleges and, and sort of to, to educate people about HIV. Um, and in that letter, <clears throat> the one thing that I say that I would say now to my six-year-old self is cut your hair. Like, I don't know what I was doing. Honestly, I thought I was like so like edgy and different and nah, that is not a look we're going for it's not, it wasn't a look then and it's not a look now so cut your hair nathaniel is the main thing i would say um but if i was to be um a bit more sincere i think i would say to to him it's going to be all right um you, you're going to make mistakes you're going to you're going to as i say in my show you're going to fuck it up like you're going to make a mess of your life but everyone does so don't worry about it and i think care a little bit less mm. like I spent my teenage years and my 20s caring about what other people thought too much mm. and it's only when I got to 30 there was like this revelation I was like oh it really doesn't matter what anyone thinks like mm. be who you want to be so it would be careless cut your hair mm. and care less <laughs> I, I think the two go definitely hand yeah. in hand care more about your appearance but care less about what people think yes yeah yeah care your appearance if you want to care about your appearance. so yeah. shallow so shallow sorry <laughs> so, um and uh for anyone who um wants to find out more about you or wants to see snippets of the show where are the best places to find out more about you and your work 
Yes. So you can go to my website, which is www.nathanieljhall.co.uk, um, or you can follow me on on Twitter, my favourite app, at yeah. Nathaniel J. Hall, um, on Instagram the same, at Nathaniel J. Hall. Um, and you can also follow my theatre company, at Dibby Theatre, as well, on both of those platforms. Awesome. Fabulous. Um, it's been absolutely incredible talking to you, Nathaniel. We're going to see if Juju... Ah, oh, and Juju's popped back magically. Oh. Um, yes, it's been yes, absolutely incredible. I'm back! <laughs> yeah, I didn't disappear. It was awesome, awesome to hear from you, uh, Nathaniel. And uh, thank you so much for oh. all you're doing. Uh, it is so inspirational uh, for me, and 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 I'm sure for for all of us. And I am so so grateful. Um, and yeah, so just one final question: if if you have any any final thoughts that that you would like to leave us uh, with. Final thoughts. I feel like I need um, Jerry Springer here and leave like that's a really old <laughs> reference that no one will get. Like I'm so old. Oh gosh. And don't they, my my. I tell you what. My final thought is: don't grow old because it's a trap. So stay <laughs> young, kids. Just stay young. Um, although the thing is, I still get ID. People are, that are watching live can see. See, I'm quite. I'm quite fresh in the face, and I still get ID'd. Yeah. I'm 34 in two weeks, and and um, I still get ID'd. So that's a little mini win, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. But, um, maybe maybe my final thought is, you know, this year's been really hard for everyone, <clears throat> and it's even harder, you know, if you if you are if you can't live as who you know you are if you're stuck in a situation where perhaps you know i'm i'm so lucky and blessed that i can live openly as a gay man but i know lots of lgbtq people can't and this year particularly might have seen them been stuck in environments where they can't be openly themselves and that's really really tough but i think it's know that that there are other people out there um and that, you, that, that there will come a time when you you can be yourself um and and try to find try to find I try to find joy in smaller moments these days um, mm. and 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 not beat yourself up over, you know, um, like like this morning, like I woke up and I couldn't be bothered to do any work. So I didn't. Do you know what I mean? It was like there are no rules anymore. There are no <laughs> rules. They've all gone out the window. So, you know, be but be kind, you know, be kind to yourself, be gentle, reach out to people if you need help and try to laugh daily try to find something that will make you laugh find a person that you know can make you laugh and they're a very special thing yes thank you so much that that was that was very very helpful thank you all right so it's time to say goodbye for this week so let's all thank nathaniel for being being here with us and jack for the interview um and uh, everyone uh, who's listening us and um, see you next week for uh, another episode of I Am Socially Distancing With by the Kai Trust. See you all! Mm -hmm.